0: May me be grateful for Jesus this morning. Amen. Man, he's been so good. So good to each and every one of us. Listen, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, <laughs> chapter 53. A little bit different this morning. Typically, we would probably read out of the New Testament passages this morning, which we will read out of some. a lot of times you go out to the public and you talk about you know people talk about the bible and they just say it's just a book but about you know written by a person or man or or many men or whatever but listen folks this is more than just a book amen. you know a lot of times we don't uh, a lot of people because they don't understand it they've never really researched it out they've really never dove into the scriptures man this is a this is a book of 66 books amen and, and, this, and so many times, and there's times I've talked with people, and, and I'll ask them, you know, because they say they read the Bible, and now I would ask them, i well, what, is the, what does it mean? What, is the, what does the Bible mean? What, what's the Bible about, right? You ever ask somebody that? Oh, you might tell me the story of creation, right? You might talk about the Israelites, how they wandered around for 40 years in the desert right before they went to the Promised Land. You might talk about the birth of a Savior, right? You might, talk about, uh, you might talk about all the disciples, right, and all that. But I want you to know something. This Bible, every book in this Bible is about one thing, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is in every book, all 66 books of the Bible. And listen, I want to share it with you this morning. In the book of Genesis, Jesus is the creator and the promised redeemer. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Think about that. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the water in the desert. Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges... He delivers us from injustice. Ruth, he's our kinsman, redeemer. In first Samuel, he's all in one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. Amen. Amen. Second Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. First Kings, the ruler and great and greater than Solomon. Second Kings, the powerful prophet. 1 Chronicles, son of David, that is coming to rule. 2 Chronicles, the king who reigns eternally. Ezra, priest proclaiming freedom. That's who he is. In Nehemiah, he is the one who restores what is broken down. Hmm. In Esther, he's a protector of his people. In Job, he's the mediator between God and man. In the book of Psalms, our song in the morning and our song at night. That's who he is. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. Ecclesiastes, he's our meaning for life. In the Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's a suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping Messiah. In Lamentation, he assumes God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, the stranger in the fire with us. Amen. Hosea, he's the faithful husband, even when we run away. (laughs) In Joel... He is sending His Spirit to His people. In Amos, He delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, He's a judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, He is the greatest missionary. In Micah, He cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, listen, He proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. Habakkuk, He crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, He is the warrior who saves. Amen? Papers. In Haggai, Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he, prophes- he, pro- he prophesies a Messiah pierced for us. Malachi, the son of righteousness, who brings healing. Matthew, the Messiah, who is the king. Mark, the Messiah, who is the suffering servant. Luke, the Messiah, who is the deliverer, the Son of Man, right? And John, the the Messiah who is the God in the flesh. and Acts, He's the Spirit who dwells in His people. In Romans, He's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, He's the power and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, He is the down payment of what's to come. In Galatians, He is our very life. In Ephesians, He is the unity of our church. You hear me? He is the unity of our church. In Philippians, he's the joy of our life. Colossians, he holds a supreme position in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, our comfort in the last days. 2 Thessalonians, our returning king. 1 Timothy, he is the savior of the worst sinners. We can all point at ourselves, right? Worst sinners. 2 Timothy, he is the leader of the leaders. Titus, the foundation of the truth. Philemon, he's our mediator. In Hebrews, he's our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In 1 Peter, our hope in times of suffering. 2 Peter, the one who guards us from false teaching. 1 John, he is the source of all fellowship. 2 John, the God in the flesh. 3 John, the source of all truth. In Jude, he protects us from stumbling. And in Revelations, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And those of us that finished Revelation, remember this. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, and the End. And He is coming again. Amen. Right? He's one who makes all things new. He's going to make everything new. Everything's going to be brand spanking new. No old remodeled stuff here, man. It's going to be brand new when Jesus returns and takes His people home. It's going to be fantastic. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament... It's just really important for us to understand. When Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, it says that uh, the Bible teaches us as you read through the book of Acts, you start reading through the book of Acts and you see where Jesus, when he came back and he appeared to the disciples in the Gospels in the first part of the book of Acts, you see he goes with them and he teaches them. And what he does is he takes the Old Testament and brings it alive in their hearts. To demonstrate to them that he was the very fulfillment of the 240 Old Testament prophecies. He was the fulfillment of the Messiah. This is why I wanted to share what each book of the Bible represents. Jesus, our King, our High Priest, our Everlasting Savior. It's important for us as his children to understand that the Scriptures teach us that everything that we do as a Christian should be all about Jesus. The centrality of who Jesus is should be the central part of our heart and life as a person as a Christian. In other words, you exchange your life for his life when you get saved. If your life don't matter, it, your life matters, it matters to Jesus or he wouldn't die on the cross, but your life doesn't matter anymore once Jesus becomes your savior because it's his life that should shine forth from your life. Every day. You know why? Because listen, he deserves all the glory. The other reason is there's other people that have no clue who he is. And more so today in our nation than any other time. There's so many people out there. I'm, I'm, somebody was telling me about uh, some of the children from school. They had never even heard of who Jesus was. We live in a country so advanced. Intellectually, scripturally, technologically. Listen, we're so advanced. And we've got children that have no clue who their Savior is. And so we need to really think about who Jesus is this morning. And so I want to introduce uh, to you Isaiah. Isaiah's name means, and we know what Isaiah's name means? Jehovah Saves. First thing you can write down. Jehovah Saves. That's what Isaiah's name means this morning. So we're going to be in the book of Isaiah today for a wonderful Easter. We as Americans have many choices in our country today, amen? Do we not have choices? Yes, sir. We have a lot of churches that we have choices to go to, right? We, but you need to go where God sends you. That's where you need to be, right? We have made sure why many folks here are from all parts of the world. There's people, you guys are from all over the place. Probably the whole country. Some, some might come from different parts of the world. We experience that in tremendous numbers every single year in our own country. There's more people coming in every year, right? Lots of people coming into our country, right? People are coming from everywhere, Right? We're like the land of milk and honey, right? We talk about the Israelites being the land of promise and the land of milk and honey. We're kind of like that to the world. I mean, think about the choices we have. Just go to Golden Corral. (laughs) We walk in there and go to Golden Corral. Man, there's so many choices, I don't even know what to choose. And see, that's my problem. That's why I don't go to Golden Corral. Because I eat everything. I'll eat everything. I love it all, man. I love to eat, so. But Golden Corral is pretty interesting. Then there's Baskin and Robbins, right? Let me started. How many flavors? 31 flavors, Baskin and Robbins, right? Go to Lowe's, man. How many different light bulbs are in Lowe's? Gazillions of light bulbs, right? There's more by, my, There's light bulbs you never heard of. Never seen shapes and sizes and dimensions and brightness and dimness and... There's so many choices we have. We have so many choices. Ceiling fans, lawnmowers, you talk about it. Man, I love going into Lowe's and walking around just looking at stuff. Boy, I wish I had that. It made my life a little bit easier at home, you know. Get on that big old (laughs) mower, You know. But it's just awesome, man. We have so many choices. But listen, I want to tell you something. But there is only one Jesus. One Savior. Jesus. This is where the rub is with our society right here. There's one Jesus. In other words, when there's one Jesus, that means there's one way. There's not many ways, there's not all kinds of ways. There is only one way to get to the Father. And Jesus is the one that proclaimed that. He proclaimed that. In his gospels from his own lips in John 14 and 6. Jesus said, What? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, he said, No man can come to the Father except by who? One Jesus. That's who we get to celebrate with today. We are here to worship the Lord, lifting up Jesus. So and, and every preacher, all of us have an outline about the life of Jesus, right? There's Jesus' birth, right? Jesus' life, Jesus' death, His resurrection, and what's last? His return. I want you to think about that this morning. Luke 9:35, Jesus takes Peter, James and John to the Mount of Transfiguration to this high mountain right? and he's transfigured right before their very eyes. And then Peter opened his mouth and said, let us build three tabernacles up here, one for you, Moses and Elisha, right? Jesus don't, he's not on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. so Peter put his foot in his mouth, right? Jesus stands alone, there's only one Jesus, right? But then at the end of that, there was a voice that came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And he said, listen to him. So I beg every one of you this morning, listen to Jesus. Don't listen to me. Listen to the Spirit of the Lord that is speaking to your heart this morning as we dive into this word. Hopefully you've turned to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, I want you to understand this. It's in the Old Testament. And it was written about 780 years before Jesus was even born. Now think about that. Can you think back 700 years I mean, think about it. That's a long time, right? So here, God is spiritually speaking into the life, through the Holy Spirit, into the prophet Isaiah, and he's writing these very words down. And listen, it's all about the future of what's going to take place in the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you look at chapter 53 in Isaiah, a lot of times the Jewish culture, a lot of times they skip over this book. Because it points to a Messiah, not like the Messiah that they look for. They're looking for a coming king and a reigning king. They look for a Messiah who's going to just like, you know what? He's going to just take control and take over everything. That's what they were looking for 2,000 years ago. That's what they're looking for today. And they're trying to pass laws to not even use the name of Jesus in Israel. I was reading that just a week ago. They're trying to pass a law that Jesus' name cannot even be mentioned. They didn't say nothing about nobody else. Just the name of Jesus. Tell me there's not power in the name of Jesus. Listen, Lazarus didn't raise by himself. Only the voice of Jesus can raise a dead sinner to life. Never forget that. Only the voice of Jesus can raise a dead sinner. I'm talking about a sinner. That's all of us. We've all either lied, cheated, stolen, we've done something, so we're sinners. But then Jesus saves us when we receive Him as a free gift in our life. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Let's get going here. We'll be here all day. <laughs> Amen. Y'all got places to go. Verse 1. Here it opens with a question Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Look at the first part of v- verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. You might want to underline tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground. So here's the first thing that we need to see in this passage right here. Is number one on your sheet on the back of your Sunday paper is his virgin birth. Right out the box he starts off with a virgin birth. Virgin birth of Jesus. When the Bible speaks of that tender shoot it's talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. It is. And I can prove to you that the Isaiah knew what he was talking about, a virgin birth. He knew exactly 760, 80 years before Christ was born. He knew exactly that Jesus was going to come. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And I can prove it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Look at what he writes in four, verse 14 of Isaiah 7. You want to write them down. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. We all heard this many times. For multiple years. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name what? Which means God with us. And he's still with us, Amen. amen? In fact, in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Why a virgin? He had to be a virgin. When we're all born, we're born into sin. We're stained with sin because what Adam and Eve did in the garden, and every person born after him, you and I included are born in sin. We have sin. And listen, that means that that means that the image of God has left us. And we need to be born again. By the, up from above, by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God needs to come inside, take up residence, and be, and you be born again and born alive, anew, unto God. That's the only way you can communicate with God and He with you. You gotta be born again! When you're lost, the only thing you can hear is when God comes at you and says, Come to me, all that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, all you that need to be saved. Listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get saved? Come to me. And Jesus will reach in your heart and he will draw you and draw you and draw you until it turns off or your heart and your heart so much you don't even hear it anymore. You have to be saved to understand the truths of the living God. A virgin birth was necessary. See, here's the thing. As a virgin, he was the son of God, but also the son of man. Let me tell you why that's important. Because, listen, if he was the son of Adam, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. We'd have no hope. That's right. If he was the son of Adam, then he would have been a sinner just like you and I. But he was different. A virgin birth, it comes from God into Mary. And it's all God into Mary. Mary was just the, she he was she was just the incubator that carried the, the godly child. That's exactly what she was. And she too was a sinner, just like the rest of them, because she was human. She was born like Adam. And the Scripture teaches us that. You know, she needed to be saved just like we need to be saved. She needed to trust her only son to be her Savior. Amen? Amen? That blows your mind, don't it, when you think about that, right? That's right. It's because he's God. God can do anything he wants to except sin. (laughs) Right? God is God. He's infinite in wisdom and power and glory and might and all those things. But listen. Here's the thing. If there's no virgin birth, then there's no God. Think about this. If there's no God, there's no sinlessness. And if there's no sinlessness, there's no blood atonement for all of our sin. If there's no blood atonement for our sin, there's no new birth for us. And if there's no new birth for us, listen, there's no hope in heaven for any one of us. Listen, Jesus came down to earth that we might what? Go up to heaven to be with him. was well, not that wonderful? I'm glad he came. He was born of a virgin that we might be born again. That's why. He became the Son of God that we might become the sons and the daughters of a holy God. That's why he came. Listen, Isaiah tells us of the virgin-born king, the Lamb of God, slain for the world. First, this is virgin birth. Number two, Isaiah speaks of his righteous life. He had a holy righteous life. The word righteous means right standing. When you're saved, you are in right standing. When you know Jesus as your Savior, then because of everything that He did on that cross, and you receiving that free gift of salvation, He makes you, He puts you in right standing with Him. Not because of anything that you have done, because you and I had nothing to offer. In fact, the only thing that we have to offer you here Friday night is our sin. And He loved us in spite of ourselves to come to earth and take on skin like you and I, and hang on a cross. And we'll see this as we go along. In verse 2, the second half of verse 2, he says, He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon Him, nor appears that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. It says, He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. You would think Jesus, the Son of God, would come as a king. And we know he's a king. But he didn't come as a king when he came that first time. Yet he had no form that we should honor him. He came as an ordinary man, but we know he was an extraordinary man, right? He was the God-man, Jesus. And when we look at movies, I think about the past movies, and I used to portray Jesus, right? He'd be like sandy blonde hair, blue eyes, floating above the ground, you know. That's not Jesus. Now, thank the Lord some of the shows are getting a little bit better about portraying the way he, uh, he should look as an Israelite, right? I think movies are starting to, get to see the big picture a little bit. I hope. I wish they'd get, all get saved. John 1:14 it says, And the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us, pitched his tent among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Everybody say grace Grace and truth. truth. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us, uh, pitched a tent. The picture is like the wilderness tabernacle that I mentioned earlier. The wilderness tabernacle was the tabernacle that the Israelites had when they were going 40 years in the desert. God was guiding them. They would pitch this tent right in the center there. Wherever God stopped, that's where they would pitch the tent, the tabernacle. It was their worship center. It was their area where God would meet with His people because God promised to be with His people. Thank the Lord He's going to be with them. we get to heaven and get that holy city, listen, God's going to be with us permanently. We're we'll going to commune with Him the entire time of eternity, and it's going to be phenomenal. But when that, when that tabernacle was here, they had what the cloud of fire by day, cloud by day, and fire by night, right? And so they had the tabernacle was there. He pitched his tent among His people, and the Israelites were camped out on every side, all twelve tribes, three, 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 north, south, east, and west. But when you think about the temple. And the tabernacle, and how it was built, it was built out of what on the outside? Animal skins. It wasn't very becoming on the outside. But, oh, hey, listen, on the inside, it was very ornate. It was very beautiful. Kind of like this stage. Probably more beautiful than this, but this is beautiful. Isn't this beautiful? I thank our Lord for our ladies who did so much work on this to try to make it look nice. In fact, this cross right here. Brother Larry's wife, Linda, who who has cancer, pray for her. She made that for us. Isn't that beautiful? But it was very ornate on the inside. And see, that's just like Jesus. When we look at this scripture here, he wasn't, listen, he wasn't, he's just an ordinary person on the outside. He wasn't nothing becoming, his appearance, it wasn't something to be attracted to or nothing, right? It was just kind of like that. He has no stately form or majesty. Also notice he didn't come with just grace, but full of grace and truth. The world and some churches just want grace, 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 And Jesus is all about grace. Don't get me wrong. I love grace. Don't you love grace? We know it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved, right? We have to have that grace. I thank the Lord for grace. But too many people want nothing but grace because they feel they can do whatever they want and then they trample over the blood of Jesus. And God doesn't want you to trample over His blood. That's why He gives us His Word, which has truth in it. He was full of grace and He was full of truth. Now, if you have too much grace and you're all grace, it's very you have a liberal lifestyle. You do whatever you want, it's okay! Jesus covered it! It's all about grace. It's all about grace. And sometimes we don't have any grace. And it's all about truth. It's all about the truth. It's all about the truth. And then you're legalistic. And you're smacking people down saying, You gotta do this. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. And you point your spiritual nose at people and say, You've got to be this way and that way. And that's not how Jesus came. Come on. He came full of grace. And He came full of truth. And it's not about balance. It's all grace and it's all truth. It's all of it together. Full of grace and truth. That's the way He came. Listen. Don't listen to the world. Listen to the Word, the truth, and let God's grace flow through your life as you deal with people. Love people with grace and truth. I take nothing away from either one. And I want you to understand that this morning. It's all grace and it's all truth. Full of grace and truth. Let me ask you that you think God will give you grace when you purposely compromise His truth? He gives you grace. But if you don't want to live the truth... I doubt that you have grace. That's right. It's just grace that you would be alive right now. God gives you grace, even when we're lost, He gives us grace to allow us to live to hear the truth. Amen. And when we hear the truth, hopefully the, the, the Spirit of the Lord speaks into your heart and brings you to a reality session to say, I better listen to this truth. Amen. And I better adjust my life to this truth and humble myself before a holy God. Because He does expect us to live with the truth you want to be an effective witness, if you're not living with truth, then you're sending a mixed message to the world. And that's why people are so confused today about who Jesus is and why he came. Grace and truth, it takes both. In Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, he said, what should we say then? Paul said this. It's a great example of this. What, What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, grace is not going to increase because you're continuing in sin. No, no, no. Think about this. May it never be. He says, may it never be. It's not all about grace. How shall we who died in sin still live in it? If we're dead to sin and we're alive to Christ, then we abolish the sin. He abolished the sin. If he didn't abolish the sin, it still abides in us. He abolished the sin. He took all our sin. If he didn't abolish it... And it's still in us. It doesn't mean we can't sin. It means that we've got to get our flesh under subjection to the Holy Spirit of God in us as Christians and surrender to His will. And He has made a provision for us. If we fall and stumble and fall, we don't stay in it. We don't sin every day and continue in sin. But we, when we stumble and fall, we get up. We confess our sin and ask God to forgive us. And He was faithful just to forgive us of all of it. 1 John 1.9. Write that down. First John 1. That's for believers. First John was written to believers. To let you know, hey, what do you do? If I sin again, what do I do? This is what I do. Confess your sin. When Jesus points it out. Confess it. Reject it. Turn around. Repent of it, which means turn around and walk away from it. Amen. Amen. You can do that. Jesus came full of grace and truth full of truth. We must have both in our lives decorated. See, we we become decorated from the inside out. He was a man of sorrows, but he was without sin. That's who Jesus was. Number three, let's go number three, right? That was his righteous life. Number three, his substitutionary death. His substitutionary death, meaning one who takes the place of another. See, that's what Jesus did for you. He took your place. He paid your fine that you couldn't pay. He took your place. If I went into a courtroom, you had speeding traffic tickets, and Brother Phil came in, and he, I said, hey, I want to pay this brother's fine for speeding. The judge would have every right to let him go, because I paid his fine. I stood in the gap for that person, right? Now, y'all don't get no ideas now. You hear me? I don't have that kind of money. I hope you're not that kind of speeders. (laughs) Anyway, something to think about. Look at verse 4. It says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Listen, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, spitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to a slaughter like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with the wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, amen, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering, and he will see his offering. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse 11. As, he, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge and righteous one. My servant will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. The purpose of the cross was what? Substitution and love, which we talked about Friday night, for us. Our sins were being punished. We were guilty, all guilty. Truth, we should have all been on that cross. You and I should be on that cross. The fact only is that one, one alone could qualify for the pure sacrifice, and it was only Jesus, the perfect sinless Son of God. So it's all Jesus. He had to be perfectly pure because none of us are. We, we could not. We were stained. We are marred with sin. We are marred with sin. It was laid on Jesus and he took our, my sin away. And this is what I wanted to share with you this morning. Here we are. Think about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve before they sinned. This was us, right? And then what we see, this is what we see. Every time we tell a lie, right? We tell a lie, right? We tell a lie. We mess around. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We dishonor mom and dad, young people. Think about it. We steal something, right? Think about it. We add a little bit more sin. Every time we add a little bit more sin. Everything we do when we sin, this is what we do. This is what we look like right here. That's exactly what we look like, full of sin, all of us. Who can get rid of that? Yep, Jesus can get rid of it. But until you let Jesus into your life, it it, it abides in you. In verse uh, 6, he says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteous of God in him. So all of our sin was laid on Jesus. If we go back and look at verse 5, it says, verse 5 says, But he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we were healed. He took our sin. Remember when he was in the garden? What did he say? He was crying. and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? Our sin. Our sin. Exactly right. He drank this cup. He drank this cup. For us. In the garden, he asked, let this cup pass from me. There was a sin in the cup. He had, he had to be separated from his own father. God couldn't look upon him because he had all of our sin on his body on the cross. And he became the sacrifice. Jesus drinks this cup. In verse 7 it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. See, he took our shame. He took our reproach. In fact, remember, Pilate asked him to say something. But listen, but he doesn't say a word. He keeps his mouth shut. Jesus was born to die, taking the reproach of man on himself. He laid on the cross. He laid himself on the cross. Nobody murdered him. He came for that purpose to die for you and for me. He died as the criminals that we are. We're the criminals. He died naked. He died in shame. Romans ten four says, "For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes." Do you believe in Jesus this morning? We do not need to be ashamed. He took the shame. Romans 1, 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the group, to, to, to the Greeks. He goes, I'm not ashamed. Why? I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, He took all of our sins. When he hung on that cross and he shed his blood, and it did not work. (laughs) I think I put too much uh, color in it, but anyway, typically what happens is... (laughs) I, probably, I might have too much, let me see, let me see. Yeah. Still. Well, so much for that. Aren't you glad that's not the blood of Jesus? <laughs> you know, I thought about, I've got to test this out for right. Listen for so I've done this a thousand times in schools and stuff like that. I'm going to tell you, every time it would go clear. Every time. But I think I think he put too much in it. I know he sure does, right? I'm glad he's perfect and we're not, right? But listen, Jesus comes into our life and purges us of all that sin. In fact, he doesn't just purge it, he covers us. We're covered in his blood. And it's his blood that cleanses from all our eyes, not water. As you can see. Number four, we magnify Jesus through his word and worship here today, right? Because of this, we have what? His victory over death. Number four, verse nine, his grave was assigned with the wicked, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if we would render himself as a guilt offering, He would see his offspring, and we will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus was placed in a borrowed tomb. A rich man's tomb, right? Think about that. No one ever laid a hand on that tomb. It was a brand new tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, right? Listen, Jesus had a virgin womb, right? But he also had a virgin tomb. Think about that. In verse 10, Jesus rose from the dead. He lives again. Jesus rose. All other religious leaders that are celebrated did not. That's what makes Jesus so unique to the Christian faith. There's an empty tomb that proves that Jesus rose from the dead. And we must throw all the other faiths away. Because there's only one Jesus. Right? He came out of the grave. He came out of the grave. He walked out of the grave. In Romans 1, 4. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And lastly, number five, His glorious return. <laughs> Verse 11, it says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for those transgressors. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back victorious, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And He's coming back, and we as His children are going to come back with Him. Amen? He came out with victory to divide the spoil, and Jesus comes with might and power. And guess what, folks? He's coming again. He is. Are you ready? Do you know Jesus as your Savior today? You want to have sin removed? Jesus already did it on the cross. you got to receive His free gift of salvation just for you. Amen? This Resurrection Day, if you don't know Jesus, don't leave here without knowing Jesus. I gave you all kinds of different evidences and proof except for that. Forget that. <laughs> but the Scriptures are true. And and he tells us all the prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And you can research it. And this is the thing. What I, what I don't like is when I talk to people and they're not willing to research it, to dig in and find out if it's true or not. And I encourage you, dig. Let us help you find the truth. Let us help you understand the Scripture. That's why we have the body of Christ meeting here at Hills Church. This is why we have Bible studies on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and small groups and different things like that. We do that so we can dive in and understand the character and the nature of our Savior Jesus more and more so that we would become like Him. Amen? But it all starts with the cross. And you have to come to that cross. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You know Jesus as your Savior this morning? We cannot deny that Jesus didn't exist. Because he did. You know how we know that? Because he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He grabbed a hold of Thomas. Thomas didn't believe until he saw him. And when he showed up, first thing out of Jesus' mouth was, Here, Thomas, touch my hand. The nail holes in my hand. Touch my side. The Bible said that Thomas fell on his face. and said, My Lord and my God. You know Jesus this morning? Is he your Lord and God? If he's not, I invite you. Simple faith. For by grace through faith, he saved you, not of yourself, not of works. You can't earn your way there. He did all the work on that cross just for you. You say, but Brother Phil, it's too simple. Why would God make it so complicated for you to have a love relationship with him? He made it simple that a little child I've had little little three-year-old who has received Christ the Savior. Believe that Jesus died for you. Put your trust, all of yourself, in Jesus. Let Him be the lead and Lord of your life. Turn away from your garbage. Turn away from your sin. That's the evidence that you're saved. Because you turn away from your sin. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you turn away from it. And you're seeking help to help you through some of that stuff. That's why we have the church body where we study the word. To hold each other's arms up. Hold each other accountable. Help each other through this life that's going to be very miserable. Especially without Jesus, it's awful. Trust Jesus this morning. Ask him into your heart. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Wash me clean. Make me white as snow. Help me, Lord. To be all that you would have me to be. I give you my life. I give you my sin. I give everything that I am to you, Jesus. That you would wash me clean. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Lord, I repent. I turn away from myself. to chase and all my, my desires and fleshly desires. And I chase you with all my heart. Thank you, Jesus. For the power that you give me to live that righteous life. Because I know I can't do it by myself. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Use me, God, for your eternal everlasting glory. For all my brothers and sisters, touch their hearts. Let them know you're right there. And that you understand everything. And you're always available. That we can bend a heart in your presence. Lord, we give you praise and we give you great glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' precious name. I'll ask and pray. Amen.